Welcome to the Myths That Make Us podcast. Today is episode three of the Horizon series, and it's called Thriceborn. The Hero's Journey is Just the Introduction. Uh, this is probably my favorite essay that I wrote in 2023. It's a goodie. And for people who don't know what the Horizon series is, uh, these are a collection of articles that I wrote around January and February of 2023. Um, and it is where the idea of the Dharma artist emerged as the, basically like the point of my coaching practice, even though that's really not how I see it. I really see myself as a writer and that I'm trying to articulate a new type of archetype of how to be in 2024, because I think that we're in a different world that most people can't see. And I think the dynamics of this world are such where the great heroes of this age are gonna be a specific type of artist. It's not gonna be a warrior. It's not gonna be a politician. It's not gonna be a soldier. Because of what the internet is doing, it is going to be the best storytellers. And um, I, want to help call in those types of people. And this is what this series is about. The cool part of this is I'm releasing an episode per day that I'm in the darkness. So I'm gonna be in a darkness retreat for the next six days, starting on the 9th or the 10th. And um, the energy that produced these articles was catalyzed in the darkness because I did the darkness the year before too. Um, and I just felt like I wanted to have an episode a day released while I was in the darkness. And it just felt mythopoetically cool. And if you're listening to this before February 20th, uh, if you want to hear my post-darkness recap, and a deep dive into my uh, mental fitness curriculum that I'll be teaching and starting on March 10th. You can go to my website, ericgotzi.com, and click on the header at the top of the page that's called February 20th Masterclass. Again, if you want to hear what the darkness was like, and if you want to get a deep dive on the curriculum that I'll be teaching about how to become a Dharma artist, and it's before February 20th. Go to my website, erigazzi.com, and click on the link at the top of the page that says February 20th Masterclass. So please enjoy. Arguably probably one of the most useful things that I've written. Uh, again, it's called The Thriceborn. The Hero's Journey is Just the Introduction. The Hero's Journey is not the myth of our time. Our myth, if we are going to make it through the 21st century, is the thrice-born. In the now classic hero's journey, we find ourselves in the ordinary world. Something unexpected happens. We are then plunged into the non-ordinary world. We move through some trials and some lessons, and then we find ourselves back into the ordinary world reborn. The hero of the hero's journey is twice-born. It's a good story, but it's an incomplete story. The hero's journey is an introduction. It's a story that has helped millions 
of developing psyches navigate the passage from adolescence into adulthood. But it was a story for a simpler time. It was a story built for a world that was absent of the nascent gods that we now contend with. Some of the names of the gods that we have to contend with go by Google, Meta, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Apple, and Microsoft. Before these gods, most psyches navigated one world, their local culture. At most, they might have navigated two worlds, either through trade or through war. Each of us modern people, every day, because we're online, stumble into four or five or more different worldviews. To quote Yeats, turning and turning in the widening gyre, the falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart, the center cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. The blood-dimmed tide is loosed and everywhere. The ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. Man, if those last two lines don't feel like what it feels like to be online, uh, then I don't know what part of the internet you're on. But the hero of the hero's journey cannot hear the falconer in 2024. To die once while living is to complete the introduction to the game of life. To die twice while living is to start contributing to the game of life. So what does it mean to be reborn? For some readers, what I'm about to say will be obvious, and to others, it's not going to make any sense. Everything that you experience is a creation by you. This is technically the fact. As far as your experience goes, you have never experienced anything beyond your nervous system's capacity to create. This doesn't mean that there isn't an outside world. There is but you have never perceived it without filtering it through your nervous system. There is an outside world, but you have never observed it unfiltered. Quote, the world as you know it has been a lifelong construction by your nervous system. To quote, die while living is for that construct to be destroyed. To be reborn is to build a new world from the destruction of the previous one. Do you know anyone who has radically changed their lives? Have you ever radically changed? AA meetings across the world are dotted with people who have radically changed their lives. Scientific literature on psychedelics, mostly before criminalization, has documented these kinds of changes in these kinds of people. Sadly, the most radical ideologies are populated by twice-born people, by people who have quote-unquote done the hero's journey. To die while living is to give birth to a new you who in turn creates a new world. When the container is just, we call it a religious experience. When the container is corrupt, we call it a cult. When the container is absent, we call it psychosis. Something inside of you is trying to kill you, but it's trying to kill you in the same way that an oak tree is trying to kill the shell of the acorn. 
there is something inside of it that knows that it must break in order to grow. And it's because reality is trying to give us a key that is right in front of our eyes. The key that we can't see. I recently ran a workshop and about 30% of attendants didn't know that we all have an optical blind spot. That is, in each of our eyes, there is a little part slightly off-center closer towards our nose that is actually uh, black. It is a blind spot. We actually can't see into it because of the uh, optics of the eye and where the optic nerve comes in into the back that, that we don't have receptors there to receive photons. But because we have two eyes, each eye is able to make a guess to hide the blind spot in the other eye. And there's actually a experiment. And if you just go on YouTube and look up how to um, expose yourself to your own optic blind spot, you can do it in a couple of minutes. Um, but again, the solution to the biology of the blind spot is the fact that we have two points of view. We have two eyeballs. And our brain takes each point of view and synthesizes them together. And this is a metaphor for what dying while living is trying to teach us. To live without having died to your first perspective is like living with one eye. To have died and been reborn is to have earned your second eye, which is a huge developmental moment in our life. But to be a thrice born is to discover the nature of optics. That is, the thrice-born consciousness has access to glasses, telescopes, microscopes, and pixels. So people in the first world, they can only see through one eye, and it's whatever perspective was given to them. People who have gone through the hero's journey once has acquired their second eye, and they have the ability to see between two different worlds. But the person who has died to the second world and who has created a third perspective, they have the opportunity to understand that the game that is being played is that there is not an objective truth, but that they can begin to create different worldviews. Becoming thrice born is discovering how to play between a practically infinite amount of perspectives. This stage has its own traps, like getting stuck in postmodernism, but that's for another time. The difference between the classic hero's journey perspective and the thrice-born perspective is like the difference between someone who needs glasses and someone who knows how to make glasses. I'm going to say that again because this is important to get. The difference between the classic hero's journey perspective and the thrice-born perspective is like the difference between someone who has gotten glasses, who needed them, compared to someone who knows how to make glasses. We live in a time where, in order to make it out of the next century, we're going to need more people than ever who are capable of not only creating stories and perspectives and point of views, but that are able to see other peoples that they don't agree with, and then suture the two different worldviews together in the same way that our nervous system has a corpus callosum that has sutured together the two different hemispheres that allow our eyes to create a cohesive single vision. Humanity is like a great 
nervous system that hasn't created the proper sutures between all of our different hemispheres. Because we got more than two eyes, so we got more than two hemispheres, and so we're going to need more than one corpus callosum. And it feels like the essence of the Dharma artist is to see what part of the collective tapestry is theirs to start to suture. But in order to suture, you have to acquire the capacity for what I'm calling mythic play, which is to be able to see from multiple reality tunnels that don't agree with each other. Becoming thrice-born is the prerequisite to being the type of thing that can suture all of the broken perspectives that make up humanity right now. Oh, this is lofty shit, isn't it? Anyways, okay, let's continue. Graham, keep that in. The thrice-born journey. Before I introduce this map, first a note about maps. Maps are lies. A map is never what it pretends to be. As Alan Watts said, elaborating on the insight from the teacher of semantics, uh, Korbinski, the map is not the territory. The menu is not what's for dinner. But a map can be a useful lie if we understand that it's a lie while we use it. A good map of the forest can help you see beyond the direct experience of the trees. So, the forest. Stage one, your first myth. Stage two, the first death. Stage three, the first encounter with the wasteland. Stage four, the second myth, the second world. Stage five, the second death. Stage six, returning to the wasteland. And stage seven, the birth of the thriceborn. All right, stage one, your first myth. Each of us emerge into the game of life helpless. To survive, the entirety of our biology sees to it that we are attuned to our caregivers and to the environment that they care for us in. Our first myth is often the myth that our parents give to us. In our culture, this manifests primarily in three ways. The golden child, the rebel, and the unnoticed. The golden child is the child that picks up the projections of the parents. If the mom wants a writer, the child will become a writer. If dad wanted to play pro baseball, the child will pursue sports. The rebel is as much a prisoner as the golden child because they must rebel against what the parents want. If the parents are religious, they must be atheists. If the parents are vegan, they've got to be liver king. The unnoticed are in some ways the most lost and have the greatest opportunity for freedom if they can find their way through it. The unnoticed they were the ones that didn't get enough attention from the caregivers to have a sense of what myth they are supposed to live. They are more at the mercy of the current tides of culture and the local environment. They're more susceptible to luck, good luck or bad luck. For most of us, these first two worlds will begin to break down as we reach the age between 18 and 25. Our first myth is the story that we live that gives our lives meaning. Stage two, our first death. Whatever our first myth is, it will eventually bump into the absolute mystery and potentially be shattered. If your first myth is to be a professional athlete, a career-ending injury can be your first death. If you got married young, thinking that the marriage would save you from the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, 
a divorce might be your first death. If you believe becoming a doctor would get your dad to start to notice you and you became a doctor and he still doesn't notice you, you may slowly start to feel that first dream die. If you get your dream job and find yourself fired after trying your best for six months, that can be a death. A fundamental aspect of our world is the future state that we're aspiring to. To the degree that we feel that we are making progress towards this future, the more regulated our emotions are. Our world breaks when the possibility of the ideal future state dies. So some questions that you can ask yourself here are, one, what was my quote unquote crying on the bedroom floor moment? Question two, what was the hardest period of my life? What happened? What belief about the world did I have? that broke? What was the myth that died? What was the future that I thought I was making progress towards that broke? To the ego that is entering this stage, this stage is the worst thing that has ever happened. But to the ego that emerges on the other side of this stage, this stage is the most important thing that ever happened to you. If you haven't experienced this yet, be brave. It's coming, and there is a community of people to meet you on the other side. But if you have experienced this, and most of you who are listening to this have, thank you for enduring. There are a lot of people out here that need your help and need to know what you learned that allowed you to survive. Stage three, the wasteland. The wasteland is the eternal archetypical realm of the human psyche that we all can quote unquote fall into when our myths die. The wasteland is consciousness without an organizing structure. It is chaotic, overwhelming, and at times awful, and at times maddening. People in the wasteland are sometimes hospitalized in our culture. We call them psychotic or schizophrenic. The wasteland has two aspects to it, an acute form and a chronic form. The acute aspect of the wasteland is the shocking, jarring, electric function that can trigger psychosis or mania. If the first world felt like a prison, first contact with the wasteland can feel like a biblical revelation. If the first world was Edenic, the first contact with the wasteland can feel demonic or hellish. But after the lightning strike comes the exodus. After the acute comes the chronic. The chronic aspect of the wasteland is when we are unable to create a new story to organize our life after the death. Whereas our culture labels the acute confrontation with the wasteland as psychosis or mania, the chronic aspect of the wasteland gets called things like depression or anxiety. My first quote myth was to become a professional athlete. When I got rotator cuff surgery my senior year, that dream died. It took me years to construct a new story. During that time, I got addicted to painkillers, gained 40 pounds of fat, and only now in hindsight realized that I was clinically depressed and almost dropped out of college. I was in the chronic aspect of the wasteland for a few years. The wasteland is consciousness without an organizing structure. In its acute form, it can be terrifying. In its chronic form, it can be a slow slide into death. So some questions that you can ask yourself. What was your first wasteland moment like? Did you experience the acute or the chronic or both? How did you climb out of it? In the privacy of your own heart, 
is the fear of the wasteland why you cling so tightly to whatever you believe now? And a thing to note, whatever you did that got you out of the wasteland, if you had the courage to start to share what got you through it, you could help a lot of people out here. There's a lot more people than you realize who have the exact same architecture that you do, who are currently stuck in the wasteland that you made it through. Seth Godin has an image that is seared into my soul, and it's like, to be an artist with solutions or answers to any questions that other people currently have as a problem, and to not be selling, to not be putting your solutions out there and getting people to notice is like being a lifeguard that is watching people drown because they're afraid to be judged for jumping in the water. Yeah, I'll just let that sit. Okay, stage four, second myth. Our second myth is the new story that we create after our first confrontation with the wasteland. If your first myth was some version of the golden child, you might realize that in order for you to be happy, you need to quote unquote, die to the image of your parents. That in order to be an individuated adult, you'll need to let go of their expectations for you. Maybe your true desire is you'd rather sculpt or farm. If your first myth was some version of the rebel, you might realize that secretly in the privacy of your own heart, you love the guitar the way your dad did, even though you don't like him. And although he hurt you, you can find the thread of love back towards your childhood desire to be a musician. Maybe you were raised as a fundamentalist and after going to college and maybe after a mushroom trip or two, you realize for the first time in your life that all of that was just a story and that you begin to discover your passion for science and engineering and physics. Maybe you were raised as an atheist and after going to college and maybe after a mushroom trip or two, you realize that for the first time in your life that all of that was just a story too. You begin to discover your passion for religion and myth and poetry. The birth of the second myth is the completion of the hero's journey. But if you think that this is the completion of human development, you're going to have a rough time. Reality is going to punch you in the face. Because the trap of this second world is ideological possession. To the degree that your first incursion into the wasteland was traumatic is the degree to which you will cling to whatever story you found that brought you out of that chaos. This trap is most evident when we look at radical political ideologies. Both the radical left and the radical right can be thought of as stories, myths. The first part of each of these myths induct first worlders into their confrontation with the wasteland. For the left, some version of postmodernism is the first world killer. For the right, some version of conspiracy theories kills their first world. Both of these stories, postmodernism and conspiracies, work because they both are partially true. All human constructs are ultimately subjective. Thus, parts of postmodernism is true. What is left out is that all human constructs are not equally effective or useful or helpful or beautiful. For conspiracies, humans do conspire. 
groups of conspiring humans have done awful things. And there are groups of conspiring people that are currently undiscovered that are currently doing awful things. But what is left out is that there is no group of conspiring humans that have total control, that there are hundreds of thousands of conspiring groups competing with each other, and that the world is more complex than a young adult fiction plotline. I'm going to say that again. The idea that there is a single group that is overseeing the whole conspiracy is a level of simplistic thinking that would pass for a poorly written young adult fiction novel. But it seems to every fiber of my being, but you know, I, who am I to say? But it seems like if you actually take a moment to contend with the complexity of life, you will very quickly be able to connect to the fact that yes, people conspire, but the world is like an ocean and conspiracies are like boats. And if you're trying to control the ocean, good luck. And if you think that there's a group of people that control the ocean, I think you're just confused. But the point is, once these ideologies have brought the individual into the wasteland, they then will offer a new story. Both the radical left and the radical right offer activism that conveniently aligns to a political agenda. The worldview offered is simple enough that if you decide to study either one, you could predict 90% of the person's responses if you tried to have a conversation with them. If 90% of your responses to political questions could be predicted before you speak, that is a sign that you are caught in an ideology. The alchemy to this stage is by grace or grit that you find yourself back in the wasteland. Stage five. The second death. Here we enter into less common territory. I'll give an actual example of a friend to help concretize this stage. A man that I know grew up in the myth of being a pro athlete. He also was a political rebel. His parents were conservative, and so he was liberal. He played D1 football in college, and as that dream began to end and it became clear he couldn't make it, for multiple reasons, not just for sports, he attempted to kill himself. It was at that moment, being at the edge of the rooftop that he was at, that he had the first contact with the spiritual dimension of life. He heard a voice and told him not to. It took another half decade for him to fully release his dream of being a pro athlete, but eventually he did. His second myth was deeply spiritual. He started a family and began helping people. Then the pandemic happened, and he found himself engulfed in the rabbit holes of conspiratorial worldviews. He went deeper into the research than anyone that I've ever seen be able to go and be able to come back. He's now 40, and he has found himself, actually during COVID, he found himself back in the wasteland. Because what he was learning couldn't be, he couldn't compute it with a spiritual world that had a God. Suicidal thoughts returned, and a deeper, even more persuasiveness of loneliness captured his story-making ability. However, because he had true elders in his community, he was helped out of the wasteland and is now truly a thrice-born individual, which is, he has the mythic capacity to step into the conspiratorial worldview, or to step into the spiritual, like, I forgive, I understand 
worldview. He can step into the worldview of, you know, I'm a killer, I'm a fighter, I'll do what I have to do to protect my family. And he and I are able to talk about maybe the world is flat for four hours, you know, and not uh, get stuck in um, either being pro or against. It's quite fun. But his first death was his dream to be an athlete. The myth that brought him out of his first wasteland was spirituality. His second death was the death of his spiritual worldview, the magnitude and the depth of pain and evil and the disturbing yet unprovable metaphysics that he was able to find in what he studied killed God for him. But with the help of elders, he found his way through that second exodus into the wasteland. And he is now one of the most practical and kind and prepared humans that I know. If shit gets as bad as it could get, he will be one of the most capable and helpful people when it happens. Stage six, the return to the wasteland. The return to the wasteland will often feel like the first time, but more intense, more convincing, and more enduring. It is incredibly hard to navigate this stage without elders, and in our time, we are in desperate need of elders. For reasons Carl Jung elaborated in his essay on midlife crises, this return to the wasteland tends to happen around midlife. For reasons beyond the scope of this article, this tends to be because our fundamental orientation to life begins to shift around midlife. The first part of life is like the ascending sun before noon. Everything has a feeling of ascent. We grow in our capabilities, life opportunities, and power. The second half of life is like the descending sun after noon. For the first time in our life, the total gestalt of life is now descending towards death. We begin to think more about the next generation, legacy, and the collective. However, it is in the return to the wasteland that the key at the heart of this whole process becomes available. Stage seven, the thriceborn. To articulate the key is to trick you because you'll read it and you think that you'll understand it. You'll hear me say it and you think you'll get it. But to cognitively understand the key without having felt it is like listening to a podcast about sex and getting aroused and thinking that you've had sex. The key is no myth can protect you from returning to the wasteland. Every myth can break, but you don't need to be protected from the wasteland. The thriceborn is the rainmaker in the wasteland. They are consciously aware that they are not any specific myth, but they are the thing that creates myths. And this is one of those things where it's incredibly hard to articulate the significance of this, but it is that I am not Eric. I am the thing that is telling the story of Eric. Eric gets hurt. Eric is afraid. Eric will die. The thing that witnesses that has never been hurt, has never been afraid, and will find the fuck out what happens when Eric dies. The thriceborn is someone who can hold strong opinions lightly. Changing their perspective becomes an art. They can talk to any kind of person about any type of subject. They are capable of learning something from anyone. They cannot be captured by ideologies. 
They become powerful friends, confidants, and allies to other people. They're capable of seeing beyond the current visions of culture. They have a deep capacity to produce novel art. And maybe most importantly, they can become guides to all people who are stuck between stages one and six. The hero's journey produces adults. The thrice-born journey produces elders. The key, mythic play. Mythic play is the required capacity to navigate the current state of our culture. We live in such a novel time that is unlike any other in recorded history, that because of communicative technologies, all the world's stories are bumping into each other. Those with the ability for mythic play have the capacity to begin to create art that can suture worlds together. But this is not, quote, every myth is equal. This is not postmodernism. The task that lies before anyone capable of mythic play is to ask themselves, what would love do here? Someone capable of mythic play would see that where there is war, there is opportunity for art. That where there is conflict, there is opportunity for art. That where there is anger and vitriol and shaming and blaming and attacking and canceling, there is opportunity for art. Someone capable of mythic play can begin to suture the tears in our collective zeitgeist right now. The goal of mythic play is to discover and to play the newest articulation of the infinite game that allows for the greatest number of future generations to have the opportunity to play the game of life. All right, so your homework, and I deeply invite you to do this, it can change your life if you let it. Ask yourself, what was your first myth? When did that myth die? What was your quote unquote crying on the bathroom floor moment? What was your experience of that first wasteland? Was it acute or was it chronic or was it both? What was your second story, your second world? And are you still in it now? Have you returned to the wasteland? Do you still fear the wasteland? What would your life be like if you used your capacity for mythic play? How would your relationship with your parents change or your relationships with your siblings? or with your exes, or with your boss? How would it change if you claimed mythic play? And what part of the zeitgeist do you see the Dharma artist in you is called to help suture? I hope you enjoyed episode three of the Horizon series. If you're listening to this on the day that this comes out, I'm in day three of my darkness retreat. Uh, this will probably be the day where I slowly start to see pulsing lights. Uh, send me a prayer, send some love. And uh, if you've ever wanted to work with me, I am starting to teach my, like, my life's work up until this point in my life. Uh, starting March 10th is when the first curriculum starts. I will be teaching you how to live as a Dharma artist. Um, there's so much dope shit that I'm going to be doing, but you'll basically, you'll learn 
how to live your life in a way where the byproducts of it are you're engaging in the individuation process, but you're also producing a bunch of art that you share. You'll learn how to start having a dialogue with your dreams that will give you access to the greatest psychotherapist that exists in the universe, and it's your unconscious. Once you learn how to talk to your dreams, they're going to take care of you, and they will call you out, and you will never be able to get away with shit. That could ruin your life if you could get away with it. It's the best. And then I'm going to teach you how to... Um, it feels weird to say master technology, but it's basically if you just teach yourself a couple of habits, all of these tools become superpowers as opposed to something that captures your attention all day long. I think the coolest part of this program that I'll be doing, and I'm probably only going to do it for this year, and then I probably am not going to work in small groups like this again because I'm going to move into the point in my career where I'm really going to focus on creating a online university. But so for the next year, I'm going to be in the teacher mode before I get fully into the entrepreneur mode. But my goal, my dream is that uh, the people who join this year of teaching and go through my class, they will be the people that I'm going to build dope shit with in the future because they're going to understand my language. And honestly, um, this is mental fitness. I'm going to create a curriculum of basically Dharma artist standards that if you're able to reach these, like if you ever want to work with me, you're going to have a green light because I'm going to know that you're, you're like me and I'm kind of insane. And I want to find the other people who are artistically called to being great in the same way that maybe I delusionally feel that I am, but I enjoy it. Anyways, if you're still listening, you're fucking meant to join. So come in here and let's build the future. And if you're listening to this before February 20th, if you want to hear my post-darkness recap and a deep dive into my uh, mental fitness curriculum that I'll be teaching and starting on March 10th, you can go to my website, ericgotzi.com, and click on the header at the top of the page that's called February 20th Masterclass. Again, if you want to hear what the darkness was like, and if you want to get a deep dive on the curriculum that I'll be teaching about how to become a Dharma artist, and it's before February 20th, go to my website, ericgotzi.com, and click on the link at the top of the page that says February 20th Masterclass. I love you guys. See you on the other side.